Traders Point, how we doing? Hey, it's good to be with you. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors around here. To everyone at the campuses, everyone watching online, welcome. And we can't go any further without making a special announcement. For those of you that don't know, today is launch day for our Northeast campus. Can we make some noise? Let them hear it through the screens. Let them know we're behind them. We're for them. Come on. Hey, we truly believe that the Fishers area will never be the same because you guys went. We can't wait to hear about what God does today and in the future. But uh, if you're here for the first time or just checking us out, let me catch you up. Um, over the past few weeks, we've been in this series called FOBO. Maybe you've heard of FOMO. It's kind of the sister term there. But FOBO stands for a fear of better options. Fear of better options. And here's what that looks like. It's where we enter into a world of maybes, where everything could be or, or it could not be. And we get paralyzed by this idea of finding a perfect solution out there somewhere. If we just wait a little bit longer, look a bit harder, then we will find that perfect option. I know that this is something that I struggle with. I struggle with options. They say it's because, if you're in on Enneagram, they say it's because I'm a nine wing one. I don't know about that. But what I do know is just tell me what we're going to do and I'm cool with it. Like I don't need to know all the details. Just tell me and I'm good. It probably shows up the worst though when I go through a drive-thru, right? I think I know what I want. I'm positive I know what I want until I roll down the window and I look at those beautiful options. I completely freeze. I am, I, I'm stopped in my tracks. My wife, she finds this both equal parts annoying and hilarious. Uh, so, so much so that she likes to record it and share it for the world to see. So take a look at this video of me at Panera. Could I get a... <laughs> the turkey chili. Chipotle chicken avocado milk. I knew what I wanted. Like I'm not bragging, but I've eaten at a lot of a lot of fast food chain restaurants, right? I know what I, I know what they have. Like just throw one out there and I'll tell you what I would get. Chick-fil-A, oh, spicy deluxe, uh, pepper jack cheese, waffle fries, large Arnold Palmer. Throw another one out. Taco Bell, don't even get me started. Cheesy gordita crunch. I could go loaded potato grillers. If you're here today and you've never had pintos and cheese with sour cream, order that. I can do that now. There's no weight. There's nothing behind it. I'm not really going to get all of those things. But the moment I get behind the menu, the moment you sit down at the Cheesecake Factory, <laughs> what are they trying to prove with that menu? Like, we get it. You can make everything. 
But it's in those moments where options, we're just bombarded with them, that we immediately like take a step back and like, I don't even know what's up anymore. What should I do and how should I do it? And this kind of, this is life, right? This idea of we, we go about doing things until we find a better way to do it, until we look for better options. We make, we make bad things good and then good things better until ultimately we can get it, we just want it to be just right. Like that's the hope out there that we're going to run into it. And FOBO may be a new term, but it's not a new fear. Like we may feel a little bit unique just because in our culture there's so many options to pick from. But the, the truth is that even with one option, it can stop us. Even with one option, we can make the wrong choice in search of something better. I mean, that's what we look at when we go back to the genesis of it all. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible and you see Adam and Eve, maybe you know Adam and Eve, maybe you don't, no worries. What happens, the way the Bible tells it is that God created everything. Everything and everything was perfect. And then at the end there, he makes man and, and women, a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. And he says, hey, guys, look around. I know. I really outdid myself. It's perfect. And guess what? You guys are at the top. I've chosen you to look over all of it. You have dominion over everything. And Adam's like, even like the wildebeest, he's like, I'm not taking any more questions right now, Adam. When I say everything, I meant everything. And it continues to go for, for just a little bit. But before God stops talking, he says, but there's one thing. You can have everything that you see, but there's one thing. There's this one tree in the middle of the garden with this kind of fruit. Just trust me, you can't have that one. You can have everything else, but you can't have that one. And not too much time goes by, and we see that Eve, the woman, is walking around and then it, it tells us that this snake comes up. It represents the devil and begins to kind of question everything that she believes, everything that she thought. And then this fear of better options creeps in. And in one interaction, everything she thought she believed about God kind of comes apart. So take a look at this in Genesis. This is the conversation. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die. Anyone ever try to get you to do something in the way that they phrase it? You won't die. Like that's a, okay, um, sounds good. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. You ever been convinced? Just in a moment? Like you thought everything was going one way. You were so sure that this is where it was going to go. And then in a moment, in a conversation, everything begins to turn. And you're not so sure anymore. And then suddenly what you have doesn't look as good as it once did. And now you start thinking about better options over there. And what's really important about this is the context that I really want to look at. One, it's from the beginning. This was a fear that we all struggled with. But two, 
Eve was in a really, really good place. She was in paradise. It's not like her back was up against the wall. It's not like she was going through a rough season. She was living the best life possible and still this fear of better creeped in and she ultimately struggled a whole lot with it. And what I think that points out to a lot of us is that this isn't something that is just for a few people. Like I think a lot of times we see people that are struggling or made the wrong choice or messed things up. We think, oh my gosh, I, 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 can't, I can't believe that. I, I, I would never. Can we just kill that noise right now? Like we are all one decision, one idea away from stepping away from something that was so good and messing it up in a moment. Like that's not what this is. And for all of us that are here right now, and maybe you came in and you're saying, I'm here, but I really don't want to be. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe because I know who I am. And I can't match up like the rest of these perfect people that are sitting around here. I just want to say there are no perfect people sitting around here. And if you're here and you're having that thought, we just want you to know that you're welcome here, that you will always belong here. And I want to show God's response because he responds to Eve because eventually Eve listens to the devil. She goes and she does eat from the fruit from that tree. Adam eats from it. And in a moment, they destroy paradise. They completely severed the humanity's relationship with God. Like if you think you've had a bad week, made some tough decisions, this was the worst. This was the worst thing that could have possibly happened, the worst option, and it did happen. And God responds. And I don't want us to pass this. Look at what God says. After their failure, it says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins from Adam for his wife. I just want everyone to see this. If you're here today and you're wondering, I've messed up, I got a past, I've done some things that I'm not proud of, I'm afraid of going back to God or going to God for the first time because I don't know how he will handle it. Can we just read this right now and you can know with confidence how he's going to handle it. That even after Adam and Eve failed, when they came to him, he clothed them in animal skins. He made sure that they had what they needed. This is the God we serve, not a God that keeps us at a distance, not a God that says stay back, a God that meets us with grace, a God that meets us with love, a God that meets us with forgiveness. Can we celebrate that kind of a God here this morning? But now what? What do we do? What do we do after we've messed up? Because this series has been fear of better options. And everything before today has been how to make wise decisions, how to work through that kind of what-if game in our head, how do we apply this to our relationships so that we can kind of move forward. But what if we've already made the bad decision? What if we already chose the wrong option? That's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to sit in the driver's seat of pain and of failure and of loss and of regret and to say, what now? Because a lot of times on the other side of our mistakes, it can feel like there are no more options left, that we are too far gone. But what today is all about is it's not even close to true. 
And that actually what we do after our failures can be the greatest thing that ever happens to us. So much can happen after our failures that God wants to do. And to look at this, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8. If you have a Bible, you can flip there. If not, don't worry about it. All of the verses will be on the screen behind me. Um, but what we're going to pick up on is, is, a, is a letter. It's written from a guy named Paul to this church in Corinth. And this is the second letter he wrote. Um, the first letter he wrote, uh, it was a little, he calls it severe. Um, he had to respond to a lot of crazy things that they were doing within the church. They didn't really have a fear of better options. All the options were available to them. They were doing all of the things. It was like buffet style at the church in Corinth, all right? Just mixing stuff, putting stuff together. Like, I do think that's where all amazing food ideas come from is buffet lines. Where else do you get chicken and waffles from? Like, you're just going through and you're like, I could put some waffles on here and I got some fried chicken. Let's put them together, hot sauce, and you create something amazing. But sometimes you don't. Sometimes you put cheese and gravy on things that you shouldn't put cheese and gravy on. That's where the church in Corinth is. They put some stuff places they shouldn't have. So Paul reaches out to them this first time and basically just kind of sets them straight. Like, hey, don't do this. P please, God, don't do that anymore. Um, do these things instead. And then look at how he follows up with this first letter with this second one. And he has possibly the greatest start to a line of all times. Verse 8. I am not sorry. I would never be able to write this, but it's incredible. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you because you guys are crazy. No, he didn't put that part. He said, I'm, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first. For I know it was painful to you for a little while, but now I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Hear this. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. And then here's, here's the big word that we're going to focus in on for the rest of the time it's the word sorrow. Sorrow. Sorrow is waiting for us at the end of every bad decision. Every failure, we are going to be met with sorrow. And a few years ago, I experienced sorrow on a whole new level. Um, I was at my parents' house, enjoying the day, hanging out on the couch. My niece is there. She's having a great time. She's dancing. Then she starts doing gymnastics, cartwheels, doing all kinds of stuff. And then she runs over to me and says, Rai Rai, can you do a headstand? I said, child, please. Can, can I do a headstand? You're lucky I'm not doing a headstand right now. That's how good I am. Sometimes I just do them for no reason. Yes, I can do a headstand. Step back. Watch me. And I get to the middle of the living room, and I go up, and I start doing a headstand. And I was honestly surprised at how good of a headstand that I was doing. It was unbelievable. Legs stretched all the way out. It's amazing. My niece is losing her mind on the couch. Like this is the, this is the best thing she's ever seen. She gets so excited that she jumps up and she runs over to give me a hug while I'm still in the handstand position. I was not prepared 
for that kind of love. So when she runs over and grabs me, I fall over. And I don't just fall over, I fall on top. And not just on top of her, but directly on top of her arm. You don't know. (laughs) I may have broken her arm with my body. That what you did, that gasp, that was sorrow and you weren't even there. The sorrow that I felt after that, just constantly playing back the scenario in my head. Why didn't I do more? Why wasn't I more clear? Why didn't I tell her never to get off of that couch? Why why was I so stupid? How could I let this happen? It weighed so, so heavy on me. And the next week, I picked her up to take her out to lunch to just say I'm sorry. And we go to lunch and she orders. And at the end of her order, she says, and I would like a a large chocolate shake, please. And I said, Grace, it's lunchtime. I don't think we're going to get chocolate shakes. And she looked at me and she said, Rai Rai, you did break my arm last week. (laughs) And I looked at the waitress. I was like, she's she's crazy. She says things sometimes. (laughs) But, yeah, we'll take a large chocolate shake. Um, (laughs) It's this feeling of sorrow that is waiting for us at the end of every bad decision. It's there. After the lie. It's waiting on us. After we send the message we wish we never would have sent, we said the thing we wish we'd have never would have said. After the moment of weakness, after that drunken night, after the night you had no control over, but it still happened to you and you're living with the sorrow. The rock bottom addiction moment, after you exploded in anger, After you left because you couldn't process what you were feeling and what you were going through and you thought the best thing was just to leave. But then you left for so long that you don't know how to come back and all you can experience now is sorrow. We're going to feel sorrow. If you are breathing, you will feel it at some level in the near future. I'm not a smart man, but I've come to know this. People fail A lot. There's no way to avoid it. Every wrong decision is going to be met with sorrow. The good news here is that Paul says that there are actually two different kinds of sorrow. And I'm almost convinced that most of us have only experienced the one kind. But look at this. He says that there's two. It says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience, this kind of sorrow leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Now, there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So we got two different kinds of sorrow here. We have this worldly sorrow and we have this godly sorrow. And they couldn't be more different. Worldly sorrow, this is that kind of debilitating sorrow. This is the sorrow that you wake up with the next day. This is, it's so heavy, you you can't even move. It's the only thing that you can think about. And if you're here today and you're wondering, I don't know if I'm living in that kind of sorrow, here's kind of what that sound, it's what it can sound like. I can't forgive myself. I know what I did, or even I know what was done to me, and I can't move past it. I can't move that picture out of 
my mind. And eventually, we just sit there for so long staring at that mistake, staring at what happened to us. And we get so close to it that eventually we can't tell the difference between where we end and where our worst mistakes begin. We just kind of become one together. And this is the kind of worldly sorrow that that Paul says that actually leads to death. But can we just pause for a moment? If you are here today and that thought maybe was in your head on the way to church today, can we just stop and say that is not what God has for you? That condemnation is not what's there for you. Jesus offers forgiveness. Jesus offers peace. Jesus offers a way back. Hope. There's nothing bleak about it. Here's what God had intended for sorrow. Sorrow is a conviction, not a home. Sorrow is a a conviction. It's, it's, It's not supposed to keep us stuck in sin. Sorrow is supposed to lead us out of it. It's a conviction that moves us closer to God. Sorrow is not a death sentence. It's actually something that God wants us to experience because it's where he can do his best work. And he says, the best work that I do is through this godly sorrow. And with that, there's no regrets. No regrets. Like that's the whole thing with sorrow. How can there be sorrow without regrets? That's what God's talking about there. He says, because once you have it, you don't let it become home. It doesn't get to live there. It doesn't become a cancer and eat you from the inside out. It is a conviction that you do something with it. Godly sorrow leads to action. It moves us away from sin and towards Jesus. It moves us out of hopelessness and into hope. It moves us out of this idea of you are a failure to you are a child of God. Godly sorrow produces so much in us. That's why Paul says that he's glad. He's glad that they felt sorrow in the beginning because what he was able to do for them after they got the letter. He goes on in verse 11 to share like all the things that happened because they felt sorrow, godly sorrow. Look at this. He says, just see. Just see what the godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. It produces in us what nothing else can. Godly, godly sorrow produces so much in us that leads us closer to him, where it doesn't just stay as a home, but it convicts us and moves us forward. And you see, a lot of times when we think about what this, this idea of success or failure or making the right decision or the wrong, the Bible doesn't use those terms. Primarily, the Bible is focused on growth. So the Bible says that, yes, you can grow through discipline. You can grow through doing the right things. You will grow if you wake up and you read the Bible and then you apply it to your lives. You can grow if you do good things. If you can grow if you love people like Jesus loved people, that will add growth, yes. But it goes a step further and says, even in your failure, your failures can produce growth. Because even in your weakest moments, even when you mess up, if you allow godly sorrow to just convict you, it can produce so much in you. Look at all the things that it says that it produced. It says, because you felt this and you were convicted and you did something, now, now you're more sensitive. 
Now you're more reverent. Now you're more passionate than you've ever been. Now you are more responsible. From a godly standpoint, all things lead to growth. It's always an option. And I love this like catch-all statement that he uses at the end of this. He said, you showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. And here's the kind of question for all of us. This week as we're kind of going through or the next time we find ourselves on the other side of a mistake or a failure. Can we say that about ourselves? Can we say, have you done everything necessary to make things right? Because this is as far as we can take it. We can't go back in time. We can't reverse the past. We can't make things go back to normal. And for a lot of us, the sorrow that we're holding on to wasn't even our choice. It was something that happened to us. And those people aren't even around if we wanted to have a conversation with them in the first place. But what we are called to do, as far as it depends on us, is to live at peace with one another. And that includes other people. That includes ourselves. And that includes God, have you done everything necessary to live at peace with the people around you? And it won't always be met with forgiveness. It won't be met with things go back to normal, but it will be met with peace. It will be met with growth. And here's just kind of a prayer that you can pray this week. Because maybe there's some stuff going on just under the surface, in the deep waters of your heart. Things that you feel, sorrow that you feel, but you can't identify. Like, where is that coming from? And why do I feel that? Just pray. God, would you search my heart? God, search my heart and show me if there is anything in there that hasn't been addressed. Bring it to the surface. And then here's the second part. And God, give me the courage to act on it. Give me the courage to send that text message. Give me the courage to forgive myself. Give me the courage to walk in freedom. Give me the courage to move forward and to not be tied down with this sorrow. I know for me this week as I was studying going through this, going through these, this sorrow and just asking God to search my heart, something came to the surface. And it was something that I need to do. It's a letter that I need to write. I had said in the back of my mind that I had forgiven, that all things were fine. But then God raised it out and he's like, no, it's still there. And it's not dependent on the other person or what they say, but it's dependent on you getting the words out and what you need to say. Then you will have peace. Have you done everything necessary? Because when we do that, this, that's where that sorrow leads to action. And the word that the Bible uses for action is repentance. That's what he said in this. And he said, this is the main difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow, it's repentance. And I know a lot of times the word repent kind of gets, it's weird. We don't use it in our vocabulary. It's a lot of times used in the wrong times, in the wrong context. But here's what to repent is. is that when we come to this spot and we see this life that we've been living, or we see this one mistake that we've made, we've seen the pain that we've brought, and we look at it, but we don't live there. It's a conviction that says, no, no, I don't want that. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm actually going to turn. 
And I'm not just going to walk away from this thing over here. I'm going to walk towards something. I'm going to walk towards Jesus. I'm going to walk towards what he has for me. I'm not going to let that sorrow creep in, but I'm going to do something with it. And it is going to, I'm going to repent from all of these things and see what God has for me. So many of us never get to that spot. We just let it in with just this deep bellow of sorrow and pain that we just feel like we have to live in always and forever. If I, if I could picture it like this, say this rope is sorrow, and these cinder blocks here, they kind of represent our sin, our mistakes, our failures, our pain. And a lot of times when we mess up, we feel that sorrow, and it just kind of brings us right over here to this. And we get so close to it, and we see our mistakes, and we see our downfalls, and we see how we could have done it better and sorrow leads us right here. And it begins to kind of almost wrap its way back around it, around us and around these blocks that eventually we're tethered to it and we can't tell the difference between where we end and where our mistakes begin. And we try to move, it feels like we're all moving at the same time. I mean, how many of us have picked up an identity, have become things because of one night in middle school? Well, that's just who I am now. Or one night in college. Or are some of us, we take it a step and we say, well, this is just who my family is. This is who my dad was and who his dad was. This is who my mom was. This is just the life that I have to accept. This is who we are. And we just stand here and we focus on it over and over again, getting wrapped up in our sorrow, never being able to feel like we can move past it. And if we let it, that is where worldly sorrow will lead us and keep us. And that's why there is such fear of making a wrong decision and failure because we believe we're going to get so close to this and wrapped up with it, we can't do anything because we're just going to be led back over and over and over again. But Jesus says that there are two options, that there is a repentance through faith in him that doesn't lead to sin, it doesn't lead to death, it leads to salvation, it leads to hope. It leads to forgiveness. And that whenever we come over here and we feel that conviction of sin and we feel that the, what we're going to do with this, everything changes with what we focus on. We will either become what we focus on, which will be either who we are not outside of Jesus or who we are because of Jesus. But what it says is that we have the power that as you follow this rope back, this sorrow back over here to your mistakes, you don't have to stay here. You don't even have to try to pull this with you. That's not you. You're something completely different. And through this godly sorrow, you can unhook from this. You can take this, you can leave this behind, and you can walk over here. Jesus says, because of what I've given you, you can hook that sorrow here. And then when it comes here, it can lead to so much. It can lead to salvation. If we bring it all to God, and I'm telling you, anybody's ever experienced this, that you felt like you've been carrying all these cinder blocks, all of this weight, you can come in this newness of life. If you've seen him remove it as far as the east is from the west, if you've seen him take your sorrow, can we celebrate him right now? That God is for you. God has something so much more than a life of being fixated on our downfalls and our sins and our mistakes. He says, no, 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 bring it all to me. First John says, if you bring this to me, if you confess with your mouth your sins, that he is faithful and just to cleanse us. 
That if we move, when we make that move and we turn and we stop focusing on this and we repent and we hand it all over to Jesus, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, all who have been carrying all of this with you, come to me. And that will be a thing of the past. Because what Jesus offers us, what he is trying to get through to us, sometimes painfully, is that that's not who you are. This I took with me. This went to the cross. This was nailed when Jesus died for us. You see, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus, the Son of God, would come to earth. He would live this perfect life for me and you because we messed it up a whole long time ago with Adam and Eve. Through this fear of better options, thinking that we knew better, and we landed flat on our face. And over and over again we did until God decided now is the time. And he sent his only son, born wrapped in flesh and skin, and he lived a life we couldn't live. Every single decision, he made it right, perfect, blameless, flawless. He went to the cross for me and you. And when he went, he took all of that, every ounce of it, every bit of it, the things you're afraid to mention, the things you're afraid to uncover, that as you begin to pray, God, search my heart, the stuff that comes to the surface, the, the, the darkness, the wickedness, the horrible things that you're afraid to mention. God says, I've already paid for it. I knew ahead of time, and I still bankrupt heaven to give it to you. Trust me with it. There's no turning back for him. He's already went all in. He's for us. And in this moment, what we want to do is just create a spot for us to be able to respond to Jesus. That we know how God is going to respond. That in the beginning, God clothed them with, with what they needed. And Jesus would come and he would clothe us in exactly what we needed, in grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that's something we can all walk out of here with. We don't have to walk out of here with that. We can walk out of here in newness of life. And what I want to do right now is just pray. And if you could, just, just not rush out of here. We're just going to pray, and this may be the only moment of quiet, the only moment where there's not another option knocking at your door. Just a chance to reflect and to say, God, search my heart. A chance for your soul to be met with a kind of love that maybe it's never experienced before. A moment for all of that sorrow to fall, to the conviction to rise, but it to go straight to Jesus, and you can walk out of here. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today. God, we're sorry. Sorry that we've messed up. Sorry that we've fallen short. We see what our pain has done. We see what other people's pain has done to us. The places of isolation it's moved us to. God, the, the things that we've had to put in place just to survive to suppress so much and to not deal with it. But God, we are. It's keeping us from you. So God, I pray right now that God, through your spirit, you would do a work. That God, you would begin to meet us right where we are. That as those thoughts come up, as those wounds get touched, as they come to the surface, the first thing that they're met with it's not condemnation, but it's love and it's grace.
God, I pray for the first time we could all walk out of here saying that we forgive ourselves because we know that you've already forgiven us. God, I pray for repentance. God, we pray for godly sorrow. God, no matter what we've done, what we've faced, what tried to break us, what tried to kill us, none of that is strong enough to go against your grace and your love and your mercy. Nothing that we've been through is too heavy not to be cleansed and to be removed. So God, meet us in this moment. We pray that your spirit would do a work right now. I pray we would be open to it. God, take away any fears. This is the choice. This action is the, it's what has no regrets. We can't get it wrong. It can't lead to sorrow. It'll lead to you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your perfect name we pray. Amen.